Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello again, Savannah. I'm Adam Van Brimmer, and this is the Commute Podcast from SavannahNow.com. On this episode, Savannah Mayor Van Johnson recently began the third year of his term. And as has become his custom, he takes a look back at the past year and a look ahead at this one with Commute listeners. Today is Thursday, January the 20th, and this is the Commute Podcast presented by National Office Systems. Van Johnson's mayoral tenure has been an eventful one. Much of his first two years were marked by the COVID-19 pandemic and a city manager search. But now the virus is easing and Jay Melder is on board in leading the city government. As 2023 is an election year, 2022 is a pivotal 12 months for the mayor in terms of accomplishing his goals. He's done the background work on issues such as affordable housing, clean energy, and racial equity. Now he must shepherd those initiatives to completion to effect real change. Johnson talks about that and more on this episode of The Commute. It's a long discussion, so we'll forego the usual daily headline segment at the end. Thank you for understanding. We will queue up Mayor Johnson right after this read for the Commute's presenting sponsor and favorite local business, National Office Systems. Owner Scott Center and his team over at National Office Systems are Savannah's experts in office design and outfitting. They work with top quality suppliers such as Dirt Modular Interiors and Herman Miller Office Furniture to create comfortable and productive workspaces. Learn more by visiting www.natoffsys.com. That's www.natoffsys.com. Now, here's the interview with Mayor Van Johnson. Pleased to be joined on the commute by Savannah Mayor Van Johnson, who a year ago this time did a, uh, an interview with the commute talking about his, I guess it would have been your first year in office and looking ahead to your second year. And here we are a year later, looking back on two years and looking ahead to year three and really the, the the rest of your at least your first term and let's reflect back on 2021 and a lot of for all the things that were going on last year you guys had hit some pretty big milestones last year and obviously the biggest one was getting jay melder interviewed hired in place and now four months in really starting to build some momentum what is as you look back on the process to get him into here and what he's done since he got here what kind of stands out to you? Well, Happy New Year, and, and thank you again for the opportunity. Um, I think I'm establishing um, being on the commute as being one of the mayoral things uh, that happens at the beginning of the year. Um, you know, I think that I'm grateful for the process that led us to uh, Jay Melder. Uh, to be absolutely honest with you, uh, people were ragging us. You know, you didn't do it the first time. You didn't do it the first time. And again, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> I wasn't gonna say it, but um, I raised my hand for the people right. listening. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, I'm I'm, I'm an HR guy. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, this is what I do professionally. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, um, bringing in Jay Melda, he was better than our first set of applicants. Okay. If we had gone with the first set we would have actually, I think, not has hit the high watermark that we could have, have done. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think people have recognized that. It, I mean, you know, you want to get the best hire. You don't want to do what's expedient. You don't want to do what's political. You want to do the best. And I told you before, I wanted a gamer. Mm-hmm. I wanted somebody with big time experience. He checks those boxes. He comes in from Washington, D.C. Uh, he's an expert in housing. He's worked for the Obama administration. Uh, he's from a uh, a parish in Louisiana that's a whole lot like Savannah was the last territory purchased under the Louisiana uh, purchase. Um, he gets Savannah. He gets Savannah. He's come in. Uh, he has uh, established um, good relationships with our council. He's hit the ground running. Um, and so I'm glad that we were thoughtful and deliberate. Um, and I think that, you know, we have been able to do some great things in just a few, a few months. Uh, it's a little over um, 100 days or so that he's been with us. And, um, you know, so far we're cooking with grease. Yeah, I think he'd been here about a minute when the fairgrounds proposal got decided, which was a project that had been hanging around and hanging around and back and forth for years. I think that bought the, bought the property in 2016. Not only what Mr. Melder did with that project, but what you guys were able to accomplish in terms of a council and looking at the proposals. How do you feel, having a little bit of time to look back now on, on finally getting that done, how do you feel about what's going to happen over there? Um, well, I committed, Adam, that you know we were going to be the administration that tied up the loose ends. Um, and the fairgrounds was one of those loose ends. Um, we wanted a process that was uh, thorough and wanted to keep in mind the surrounding communities, um, but yet fit our desire to be able to have um, affordable housing and uh, recreation. And so we had a very extensive, exhaustive process. Um, and now we have a developer that was selected. And so, um, you know, a lot of shout outs go to Michael Brown. Um, mm-hmm. Michael Brown basically shepherded that to the finish line and, and Jay took it across. Um, and, and then Pat Monahan, you know, even before that. So, um, you know, we're, we're well on our way of now creating a development plan where we can determine what this actually looks like. Uh, that includes extensive community engagement. So I'm excited about what that uh, means. But I'm just glad to get this done. I'm glad that you know, at least the fairgrounds is not hanging over our heads anymore. Um, that you know we know it'll be a phased in approach over uh, several years. But at least you know we're we're looking already at housing uh, for that site. So I'm, I'm just glad that we're moving. Um, I think that that was important. Some other projects that are equally. Important that were either completed or started included some community centers on the west side, and of course, those are things that I think you probably started working—not probably you did start working on when you were an alderman. Can you talk a little bit about those community centers and what you think they bring to the west side of Savannah? Absolutely, um, I'm, I'm excited because again, when we talk about continuity, um, this is where it works. Um, you know, the Hudson Hill Community Center, as you know, was built by Chatham County. Um, had some structural issues shifted and um, had to be demolished. Um, we promised that we would get money uh, as an alderman to rebuild their center. Uh, at the time, was valued at $250,000. I was able to secure uh, through Mayor DeLoach and the previous council $3 million to get that done. Um, so as mayor, I was able to secure the money. I mean, as alderman, I was able to secure the money. As mayor, I'm able to see it built. It will be built. Um, um, by the end of this summer. So I'm excited about that. Um, and also the Moses Jackson Community Center. Uh, Mo- I'm sorry, the Grant Center. Grant um, Center. We found a place next to the Moses Jackson, Jackson Community Center. It is 
um, the city's only regulation size basketball court on the west side. Um, and uh, we're excited because we'll be able to connect that to the Moses Jackson Center. Uh, it was over um, two splossed referendums. And so we're able to commit uh, $4 million for that project. Uh, again, when we're talking about equity, we're talking about money going to places where it had not gone before. Um, and we're saying that everyone in Savannah um, is entitled or should be entitled under our government um, to state-of-the-art facilities. And so um, we're, we're able to do that in the West Side again. Um, you know, this was under the previous administration, but, you know, I was just glad to have worked on those projects as an alderman and see him completed as mayor. Yeah, I'm going to bring up, I'm going to bring my pickup game to the grant gym. When it uh, opens, hey, so a bunch of us are going to be out there now. Those guys out there are good, so just be careful. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we'll have to do the over 45 game. Oh, we have to. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we got to get that set. Fre frequent so. breaks and only one quarter. <laughs> exactly. Uh, let's turn and talk about a, a weighty topic, and that's affordable housing. Of course, there was an affordable housing task force. There's now an affordable housing plan. We're going to talk about the budget in a little bit. There's now money in the budget. Uh, I know that now the city manager, Melder, is looking at an inclusionary zoning ordinance, which I don't think we have a lot of the details on, but I think I sum it up properly by saying if you're going to build new development market rate housing in Savannah, an apartment complex or whatever, a certain percentage of that needs to be uh, affordable as well, workforce housing. So when you look at affordable housing and where you are and where you want to be, how how would you summarize it? Adam, I think the most amazing thing, again, we've been in office for um, only two years, um, and most of the two years that we've been in a worldwide pandemic, yet we've been able to make substantial progress on affordable housing, um, doing more than just talking about it. We um, put together a task force of, um, of many of our um, housing professionals in this community and citizens that developed the uh, um, Housing Savannah Plan, which was Savannah's first affordable housing plan, which is something I promised to do during the campaign. Um, from that, We've been able to um, not only um, designate uh, $18 million for housing and homelessness, $7 million of that going into our affordable housing plan uh, to be able to create uh, 15,000 units of housing per year up to 2032 and then to maintain uh, that rate. Uh, inclusionary zoning, as you correctly said, allows us to uh, include that housing stock. Um, engaging with, pub, uh, with partners like SCAD, um, who created affordable housing uh, in the downtown core, and which includes um, parking and utilities for a little less than $1,000 a month. And so I think, you know, you, you keep your foot on the, on the um, gas. Um, we have about five significant city properties that are not developed as of this point and we're moving forward to um, really look at affordable housing opportunities uh, for those those properties so um, you know I think that we're doing as much as we can at this point again I'm having these courageous conversations with some of our larger um, community partners to help us find ways of being able to make housing more affordable for Savannahs. Um, we recognize that Savannah, um, the, the housing market has exploded. And so while that's really good for developers and realtors, it's really not good for people um, who live here. And so we have to make sure that city employees and, and the teachers and, 
In other words, you don't have to move outside of our community to be able to have housing that allows you to to live and to live, mm-hmm. live in and to live your life. At the thing that increasingly concerns me, and I've written about this, is the fact that our unemployment rate is now at something like 2.1%. We have all of these job openings. How in the world are we going to attract new people to our area and to our city if 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 we don't have housing that they can afford? You know, it, okay. wages, uh, higher minimum wage and wage growth is important, obviously. But, you know, if, if your housing doesn't keep up, you could go to $15 minimum wage, but if your housing jumps by 50% and 15 dollars isn't enough to to pay for the housing then kind of what is the point so yeah your your point is is well taken in terms of the people that already live here and also the people that hopefully will live here in the near future and it's important for our industries as well um you know there are people that you know we can't be like hilton head where people you know are are busting or busting from from surrounding areas to be able to work we need people to work in proximity to where they are so um housing is one core for me the next core is transportation public transportation um i am a proponent of county-wide public transportation people have to be able to get from one end of our county to another and we're all in this together and so we have to be able to get from downtown Savannah to the Tanger outlets, to the logistical corridor, um, to Tybee Island, and they need to be able to do that through public transportation. And then finally, childcare. Um, If you don't have a place that is safe, that is affordable for your child to be while you're working, that is another barrier to self-sufficiency. So when we're talking about um, poverty reduction, we're really talking about it from the lenses of housing, transportation, and childcare. Yeah, cat expansion is a whole other podcast. In the, well, it is, and, I, and please include me because I think again, yeah. my my position has been uh, as mayor. It might be an unpopular one, um, but you know, for Savannah to meet its strategic needs, um, public transportation has to be everywhere. Yes. And so you know, for teeth floss or anything else, unless it has public transportation countywide, I, I don't believe I can support it. Right. Right. All right. Uh, we talked about the housing task force. We had another task force that finished up some work this year, and that's the racial equity and leadership task force. And while they have delivered their findings, I know there's still some work to do on the takeaways. But one thing that we do know is that the city is in the process of hiring its first ever diversity and equity officer. Can you talk a little bit about that position? Right. This is something else I committed to doing during my campaign um, to finally have the grown up conversation about race. Um, and for us to be able to quantify it, I'm sure you've seen the report. It is a masterful report that shows us um, where the disparities lie in our community, uh, in health and education and economics. Um, and what can we do to be able to do that? So there are recommendations in there um, for the city organization itself. Um, we recognize that we can have to look inward as well as look outward. Um, so hiring our first diversity and equity and inclusion officer is someone to make sure, A, that we are being diverse and equitable within our own organization. Uh, then secondly, to make sure that we are being diverse and equitable in our dealings with um, our citizens. Um, and we will hopefully um, spread that type of mindset as we get to, you know, for example, education. You know, we don't really have anything to do with education, but we'll certainly uh, try to make a report before the Board of Education um, to help uh, be a part of the process. Again, we recognize that we're a part of a greater community. We're all in this together. Um, we recognize that um, we have to be a part of these conversations, and we're willing to do that. 
as we transition to talking to the year ahead, I think you probably have to start that with the budget. Of course, the, the, the it was it was called a historic budget, and it, and it it was. I know a lot of it is a lot. Of, you received a lot of federal money that helped make it historic. When you look at the budgetary process and what that money, that revenue, and that spending is going to mean for the next year, what are some of the two or three highlights for you? It was a monster budget. Um, once in a lifetime, may not happen again. Um, one of the things I'm most proud of is that Savannah is now uh, paying $15 minimum wage for our employees. Again, something that I promised um, in the third year, and this is the third year. Um, but more importantly, you can't get people out of poverty while paying poverty wages. Um, we recognize, as you said earlier, that housing and everything else has become more expensive. And so in the South, generally, we pay lower wages. But the fact is, is that we have not kept up with inflation. Um, so while we know a living wage is about $13 an hour, Savannah, Georgia has the same minimum wage as New York City, $15 an hour. And so I think that shows that we are punching above our weight. Uh, it means we're hanging with the big boys. And I think it's important for our uh, employees to understand that you know they're part of our, our investment. And so um, over the next coming months, I'll be encouraging other employers. I mean, you know, get you know, meet us or beat us. Get to fifteen dollars an hour. Um, you know, we get people out of poverty. Um, we have more sustained. It's more sustained. They have more time to spend with their kids. They have more time to pay for the things they need. Um, issues of criminality are addressed. Issues of education are addressed. Um, issues of disparity are addressed. Um, so I'm excited for what it means to our employees. Um, so I think that's a major takeaway from that. Um, we're also making historic investments uh, uh, in not only in law enforcement and public safety, um, also, as we said before, in housing and homelessness. Um, again, great budget, uh, you know, $5 million for a community center on the south side as we provide equity for the folks out on the south side. Um, I'm excited for what this means. Great. Uh, the budget process went relatively smoothly, at least to the public. I don't know what happened behind the, the front, the, the closed doors, but I think a lot of people looked at that and thought, okay, this council's been on the job for two years. Uh, they're starting to come together. And then we've had some other incidents since then that, that showed some council divisiveness. When you look ahead, uh, now everybody, and granted, you got to remember what seven of the nine were new to, to this whole deal when they came in two years ago and the pandemic and everything else, we had to give... Uh, some people uh, a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. But when you look at the two years ahead, what is your take on the council interactions and what maybe needs to be done, can be done to improve the, the, the atmosphere, the culture on council? Well, obviously, Adam, we did not end the year like I would have hoped. Um, again, we had a lot to be grateful for, a lot to be happy about. Um, and as you know, everybody knows it just did not end very, very well. Um, I'm going to continue in, to insist um, that as public officials that we treat each other with kindness, courtesy, uh, and respect. Um, that is what people expect of us. Um, you can disagree with somebody um, and not be disagreeable. Um, Eddie Deloach and I degree, disagreed on um, policy issues. You never saw me disrespect him. He was still the mayor of our city and, and worthy of that respect. And, and we're still good friends today. Um, and I think we just have to show people that we don't have to be personal. We don't have to act personal. Um, we just need to be able to act in the space of, of dignity and respect. 
and that's how I'm going to continue to act as mayor. Um, and I'm going to insist that council members do the same. Um, certainly, if they don't want to, that's up to them. Um, but there is a public watching. Um, there are young people watching. Um, and I trust that the public will hold them accountable for their actions. You are listening to The Commute Podcast and a year in review, year in preview interview. I'll say that three times fast with Savannah Mayor Jan Johnson. I interrupt this discussion to remind you that visiting savannahnow.com, the online home of the Savannah Morning News, is the best way to stay abreast of all the news and happenings in Savannah. Get full access to savannahnow.com and our mobile app for just $49 for the next year. Go to savannahnow.com slash subscribe now and sign up. Now, back to the dialogue with Savannah Mayor Van Johnson. One area where it's going to be tested right off the bat is redistricting. So I think uh, a lot of people probably don't realize is last year, obviously, the the Georgia legislature went through the redistricting process for the U.S. House uh, and then the Georgia General Assembly. I think people that, that look at the paper have seen that we are moving along in terms of uh, Chatham County redistricting, which includes not only the Chatham County Commission, but also the Savannah Chatham School Board. The next step is going to be the city. And I know that the first workshop, uh, the workshop that's scheduled for the 13th of January, you're going to start broaching that process and talking about that process. Can you kind of walk us through uh, what we need to know going in in terms of what to expect for redistricting for the city of Savannah? Well, I think the first thing that people need to recognize that this is a normal part of the 10-year census process. Um, every 10 years we do this. And so um, being on council, as long as I've been, I've gone through this process before. Um, it means change. It means that um, your your alderman may not be your alderman uh, next year. Um, and so I think that's a big thing. People get used to being in a particular district or being represented by who they represent. Um, but, you know, the process of this is really to really rebalance district uh, the districts to make sure that everyone is representing the same amount of people um, from my experience in this and certainly from representing um, the first district um, when I first started I represented downtown mm-hmm. and as the community grew north and west um, you know I lost downtown um, and then I you know lost um, the uh, west side of MLK um, now you know some of that is going away. I think that what's going to happen, I think it's going to be somewhat ugly for some districts. I think that um, because of the growth in the Highlands, um, mm-hmm. because of the population in Eastern Wharf, um, you'll see the first district move even more west. I think that some of the traditional neighborhoods represented by District 1 um, will not be represented by District 1 anymore. Um, you know, it just it has to happen. Um, I think that district, um, the growth out at Bradley Point, um, that will also change um, the representation out there in terms of District 5, maybe going to District 6. Um, so um, it is a um, legislative practice. It has to happen. Um, and at the end of the day, it has to. Um, uh, we don't have lookbacks anymore. We don't have Department of Justice approval anymore. Um, and so uh, we'll discuss what that process means. But it's it's really numbers and paperwork. It's just looking at these maps and you're really trying to figure out a way of doing it. Um, redistricting oftentimes done right, people are not happy. Right. Everybody's not happy. <laughs> Nobody, um, you're not going to make anybody no, happy in redistricting. No. Um, but you, um, you find really what you can live with. 
And so, you know, we'll see what that is. I mean, fortunately for me, my district does not change. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're citywide. So there you go. Uh, As we sit here, the the Georgia General Assembly is is gearing up. And I know that one city item that's going to be important with the legislature this year, and it was last year it came up, was the, the, the increase in the hotel motel tax last year it it failed we don't have to get into the 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 details of that but you've taken another run at it this year what what are you expecting in terms of a hotel motel increase i'm hoping for it to pass Mm -hmm. Um, we know that uh four of our state representatives have signed on for it we're waiting for the signature of our two senators Um, Mm -hmm. i trust that they will honor the will of this council uh, and of this community rather than that of hoteliers um, and pass that. I mean, Thunderbolt is in a better category, and they passed Thunderbolt last year. Mm-hmm. Um, we are the only hub city that is in the lower category. It makes no sense to me that um, we should not have more of tourism paying uh, the strategic needs um, or tourism-based products uh, in our city. We know that our riverfront needs uh, overhaul. Well, the city of Savannah cannot afford for that to happen. We know that there are a variety of wayfinding things. We know that tied to um, town um, uh, prospect uh, is something that is very important to us. We don't have the money to be able to fund those. We have gone to the well constantly to our citizens asking them for money, 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 money. Well, I mean, we have 14 to 15 million visitors that come here every single year. Um, they're going to come to Savannah anyway. Um, they're going to enjoy Savannah anyway. And having the ability of them paying an extra few dollars for their gracious host here in the city of Savannah, to me, is not unreasonable. Um, most of our hotels, hoteliers have, um, have agreed to this. Uh-huh. And so we're hoping that this year this will, you know, it will it will fly through easily and we will be able to then be able to make some real changes in some of our neighborhoods um, that our citizens deserve to see. Every um, here to four um, neighborhoods did not necessarily benefit from tourism mm-hmm. outside of employment. But in this case, we're able to do some things to really uh, help our communities um, to really benefit in a very tangible way from tourism. Yeah, and did just so everybody know that the hotel motel tax is currently at six percent. If they get the increase, it will go at eight percent. So right. it is significant and, dollars, and you consider right. how much right. money spent this time. And one hundred percent of it is not paid for by Savannah residents, unless you go into a hotel. Unless you, yeah, unless you stay. Yeah. Right. So that's take your wife's anniversary. Right. Now, right. If you go for your anniversary, then you're gonna have to pay. <laughs> but I mean, but the citizens don't have to pay for that. And so, I mean. You know, it is really is really costing the truth to our residents. Um, mm-hmm. And the fact is, again, people are going to come to Savannah. They'll pay the extra two cents. Mm-hmm. They'll pay mm-hmm. the extra two dollars. Right. We're going to give them that experience, particularly considering what our hotels cost here. We have, you know, um, these hoteliers have been able to get what they want for these hotels. I mean, we're very it's very expensive, and people mm-hmm. are going to come to Savannah. They're going to come keep to coming. Keep coming. That's right. Uh, two other things I know on the horizon for you, for you all in terms of initiatives are food availability and 100 percent Savannah. Can you kind of update us on on those two topics and what sure. we could expect in the next year? Well, I'm excited that the 100 percent Savannah plan, uh, it went from a concept to a pledge. Um, this is uh, clean energy, right? Right. Yes. Um, right. Clean energy. Um, and, you know, this was something that our council was um, overwhelmingly uh, supportive of. 
And, um, you know, it, it worked with some really great community partners. And now, um, you know, it's happened. And so we're moving forward in a very aggressive way. We have committed to leading in clean energy uh, in the state. And this 100% clean energy uh, pledge now plan uh, position us to be able to do those things. As a coastal community, we got to be concerned about the environment. And so this helps us to get there. Uh, and then food availability, as we continue to talk about poverty reduction, we recognize that you know, food is not available to everybody. Some call it food deserts. Uh, the more um, common term now is food apartheid. Um, but it's the fact that people live more than a mile from fresh food. And so therefore we see in young people, um, because they go to convenience stores, which are for convenience, um, you know, their, their lunch is now um, sodas and it's now cookies and cake and it's potato chips. And we see, oh, oh, yeah. right. We see diabetes and we see um, uh, high blood pressure in, in kids. And so we have to make sure that well, we have food availability. And does that mean grocery stores? Yes, probably. But it also means, you know, things like vending machines, fresh food vending machines. It might mean helping uh, local convenience stores to offer a better array of food. It also means community markets. And, and so a variety of things. Um, you know, I've committed that we're not going to run away from hard issues because they're hard. Right. This is a hard issue. Um, but, you know, we're going to put uh, our best team on the on the field and we're going to do what we can uh, to be able to make a sizable um, a dent in it. We have about three food deserts identified in our community. And so our goal is to get rid of all three. So we've been talking for about half an hour. And, and while it's been mentioned, it hasn't really we haven't talked about it yet. That's like that's a pandemic. And of course, the reason is, is it changes by the day. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. What pandemic? It by the time we record this, and by the time the editor edits it, it may have changed again. But as we see here, Omicron is is raging. Uh, we know from looking elsewhere that Omicron tends to go up like a rocket and and come down just as quickly. So we can kind of cross our fingers and hope that's going to happen here in the next couple of weeks. But when you look at COVID and dealing with it from a city perspective in 2022, what are some of your guiding lights or your or your direction there? Well, I think that uh, although I've been criticized for it, um, uh, I my North Star is to keep the faith and follow the science. Keep the faith that we will get through this. Keep the faith that although we don't know how or when, that eventually we will uh, get to that new normal. In the meantime, keep you know follow the science. Um, there are people who are well-versed, well-trained, well-educated. Um, although this is evolving, they're learning as they go along, um, but they understand this better than we do. Um, this should never have been a political issue. You know, this should be a public health issue. And unfortunately, uh, many people, not only locally, but across the country have made this into a political issue. Um, it is not. And so therefore, um, when the science said for us to, and again, I have an excellent medical advisory team that I don't think get enough credit, um, that includes um, the wonderful uh, medical directors of not only St. Joseph's Canada, but of Memorial. Um, also, there are two primary healthcare centers, uh, Curtis Cooper and J.C. Lewis, um, also a private physician uh, and um, a private pediatrician and our health, our, our health, coastal health director. Um, so these are people who know what they're talking about. 
certainly know much better than we are. And so I've been amazed at how many people now have um, uh, terminal degrees in epidemiology, infectious diseases, um, they, they, you know, degrees on Facebook, and they just can tell you from WebMD what is going on. And the fact is, is no, you know, every decision I've made, um, I, I will run it by them and ask them what do they think. And they've been unanimous in this. When we when we ordered masks, it's because they said that they felt masks were appropriate. When we shut things down or instituted limits, it's because they said they felt that was the most appropriate thing to do. We've been pushing vaccines. We did the incentives. About 70% of city employees are now vaccinated, as opposed to 52% of our community, um, which is which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we know that now we're in the middle of an Omicron spike that is vertical. I mean, literally, it doesn't do this. It yeah. does that right, right, straight right, up. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Straight up. Uh, we know it's more infectious, but we know that uh, it's a shorter duration. Um, and so we're just asking people, hey, man, wear a mask, protect your kids. And we know the kids are becoming uh, infected quicker. Um, I was talking to a pediatrician yesterday, and she said out of 20 swab she did early in the week 11 of the 11 of them were positive and so it shows you that it's spreading fast you know wear the mask um get boosted be vaccinated um and i just think it's a small price to be able to pay for the viability of our community although people will complain and say that the city has been heavy-handed i will tell you without a doubt um that savannah has rebounded from COVID better than any other city in the state to include atlanta Mm-hmm. To include Atlanta, um, and when you look and see all the people here, the hotels at ninety-five percent occupancy. Some of our businesses ended their best year ever was twenty twenty-one, and our overall growth will be four to six percent. Um, that shows you that what we have done worked. That it that it was a fine line between keeping people safe while still making sure that our economy worked. And, um, you know, I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for the support of our medical advisory team, certainly grateful for the support of Team Savannah, um, our council, uh, and our citizens who just, you know, uh, endured me, endured me insisting that we want to keep people safe regardless. The last thing I want to wrap up with you on is something that will probably come up this year. Uh, probably, If it doesn't get done this year, it'll probably stretch into next year, and that's term limits, which they've talked about for city council, and, and some people are pushing for, and the pros and cons are being debated. And I want to set the stage for everybody is, is council has to, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, council has to agree on what what the parameters are if they're going to put in term limits. Because right now, you as the mayor is the only one that's term limited. You can be an alderman until the end of time or until you die, but, uh, but the mayor is term limited. So they want to put in term limits for aldermen. So if the council agrees to, okay, these are what our new term limits are, uh, and then it goes to the state legislature and they have to change the charter and that requires a vote. Uh, have I got that right? And if I do, what are we really – Give us some of those details. What are we looking at? Why term limits? How are they going to be done? Go. <laughs> well, it's, it's several schools of thought, and um, my position has always been that the people determine your term limit. Mm-hmm. Um, when people decide you're, you're done, you know, then you are you're voted out. Like you said, the ballot box. Um, you know, John Rasikis was voted out uh, as mayor before the term limits took effect. Um, you know, and so people will determine that. Um, but several of the council members have campaigned on term limits. 
Um, I think that maybe they don't recognize really how long it takes for a council member to really become effective in their job just because of understanding how things do, how funding cycles go, how things like SPLOS operate, um, really just becoming very proficient in how uh, government works. Um, but, you know, they want to entertain it. And so certainly because they want to entertain it, uh, I'll entertain it as well. Um, I am much more interested in staggered terms. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, what happened to this government should never happen again. Um, we potentially could have had nine new council members to come on board. And that being said, uh, you have an organization with people coming on that don't have a clue about what's going on. And you have an entire government that's moving full steam ahead on December 31st. And then on January 1st, that direction may stop and totally turn in the other direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you have to have some continuity of government and staggered terms uh, provide that. And so I would envision that, you know, you would have alternating cycles that the mayor, uh, maybe a district one um, uh, district one, three and five aldermen and one of the at larges. And mm-hmm. run one year and then two years later um the district uh two four and six and maybe the other at large alderman run uh, on another year but that means that you always have at least four and sometimes five members on council so you have some continuity there um right. you know, again it's something that we have to be able to flesh out and and talk about we've started that conversation uh and we'll see we'll see what happens we'll we'll see yeah. where it goes i think my only goal is whatever it is it just needs to be consistent across the board yeah for for the listeners the, the chatham savannah chatham school board operates this way half the uh, you know every two years or every two years you're swapping out four people and right. once every four years uh the president which is like the mayor of the city of savannah would, would be a part of that and from talking to members of that school board they say that that is just that is such a help for them because the onboarding the the learning curve is very, very high. They talk about it like learning this drinking out of a fire hose. You got so much information coming at you. So when you're swapping out seven council members, as we did a couple of years ago, you got to expect there to be, uh, it's going to take a, some time. And if you have people that are veterans and experienced that can kind of help the, help guide the, the newcomers, that's, that's a benefit. So that said, mayor is a two, is a, is a two term limit. If they go, two terms for alderman or they go four terms for alderman does mayor and alderman in your mind does it need to be the same i think it needs to be the same so i mean i think you know um if it's two terms for mayor then it should be two terms for alderman if they want more i think it should be whatever it is it needs to be consistent um you know we're all part-time uh in this if mayor is a member of council um and again if if a um not saying i'm necessarily interested but i just think that if the people determine if they're effective and so if you offer yourself and people don't think that you're effective um Savannah's have shown time and time again that they'll send people home right. um and you know i think people should have that ability to be able to decide because you could have in some cases a very good alderman a very progressive alderman a very progressive mayor um that you know, in the end, might be stifled by by a term limit, and so, um, you know, again, I'll I'll let them, you know, uh, talk that out and work that out. Um, but ultimately, I just think whatever it is, just needs to be for continuity's sake, be consistent. As a reminder, everybody, to everybody, the next city election is the end of twenty twenty three. So, got a little bit of time on this, and I'm sure when we get together 
a year from now we can we can talk about that but everybody don't get too excited the election is is still about two years out but mr mayor again a happy new year thank you for taking the time it's i always appreciate your your candor and your understanding in doing this and we'll look forward to all the best to you in 2022 thank you sir and thank you to the uh, listeners and the readers of Savannah Morning News and and the, and the commute, you still do the little thing where wrong when the car. Goes yeah, out. yeah, you'll have that to start. Yeah. All right, all right. So that's why I thought I could hear it. I can't hear it right now. No, I can't hear. Okay. I don't have it on my. I don't have it. But okay. uh, you know, I'll send you. I'll send you the clip, and you can just play it at your leisure. Yeah, I think I'm just going to do that sometimes. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Thank you. That's all for the Thursday Commute. Thanks again to our presenting sponsor, National Office Systems. For more interviews with local newsmakers, check out the Commute archives by searching The Commute with That Savannah Opinion. The Commute returns next Tuesday. Thank you for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of... uh human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.